I'm Rajiv Chandrasekharan, and this is Upstanders, stories of extraordinary citizenship in unexpected places. I spent 20 years at the Washington Post covering war, crime, and government dysfunction, the darkest parts of America. Now I'm at Starbucks, where I get to tell different stories, stories about people making a positive change. One of the biggest issues facing Americans today is the question of how police officers protect and serve. In many communities, there's little trust of men and women in uniform. Today, we're going to face the issue head on and hear about a former sheriff who's changing the way police are trained from the inside and how they change the way they think of themselves as officers and the people they protect. That's coming up later. But first, I'd like to introduce you to Howard Schultz. He's the chairman and CEO of Starbucks. And now he's got one more title, podcast producer. We started this show so we could bring important stories like this to you. And we sat down together to talk about it. Howard, this next story is really a story about empathy. It's about people in uniform learning to look through the eyes of others. It's about teaching mutual respect and connection. Empathy is a word that matters to you. You use it a lot. I think we're living at a time right now where it's more important than ever to try and put our feet into someone else's shoes and try and understand with greater empathy the challenges that exist. I think it's so easy today to prejudge a person or a situation based on our own life experience or our unconscious bias. This was an important opportunity not only to learn about an upstander and meet her, but also to try and have a better level of understanding about the situation and the degree of difficulty in today's society in wearing a police uniform. In an effort to better understand some of the the challenges our police officers are facing, you've taken it upon yourself to go and visit with police leaders in major cities across the United States. That's true. And I, I did that, again, to have a better understanding of the challenges and the issues that police forces across the country are facing. And also, given the fact that we have stores almost in every community in America, Uh, I just wanted to have a relationship with police chiefs in major cities. This really isn't a story that's delving into all the issues on one side versus the other in terms of law enforcement reform. It's about somebody who, who saw an important set of changes and had the courage to stand up to the old guard. Well, as she says in the story, she wants to teach her young cadets to be both warriors and guardians. So let's listen to the story of Susan Rahr. Back in 2005, Susan Rahr was elected sheriff of King County, the biggest county in Washington state. And part of her job was to address excessive use of force complaints. When she reviewed these complaints with the officers themselves, she kept hearing the same thing. The deputies would say, well, that's how I was trained. This style of training has a name. It's called Ask tell, make. The philosophy is, you move in, you give a person a direction, you give them one more command, and if they don't respond, you physically force them to do that. Compliance through use of force. It's a nice, neat, clean model, but the problem is it's not very flexible. For RAR, it was a growing concern. I thought we could do better. In 2012, Rahr resigned her position as sheriff and became the executive director of Washington's Criminal Justice Training Commission. Now she would see how new officers were actually trained 
and what she saw at the academy surprised her. She instantly noted the academy's military atmosphere. I was surprised because I didn't realize that recruits were required to snap to attention and be silent when they encountered a staff person in the hallway. I couldn't understand what does this have to do with training a cop because they don't do that in the field, they don't do that at the police station. This was a kind of a stricter boot camp style law enforcement academy and it had a much different feel to it. That's Russ Hicks, an instructor at the academy. Russ says at that time, this was the message they gave recruits. The focus from the instructors wasn't view me as a role model, it's view me as a disciplinarian. The academy trained recruits to act like warriors preparing for battle. And former Sheriff Rahr thought this combative attitude could explain the prevalence of excessive force in Washington state. I finally just said, you know what, we're going to try something different. RAR started with a simple new hallway policy. Instead of snapping to attention, we're going to require the recruits to make eye contact and initiate a conversation, because that's a skill they really need on the street, and it's a perfectly acceptable way for them to acknowledge that, I see you coming. Police interact with ordinary people all the time, so why not have them practice that in the halls of the academy? When we started introducing these changes, there was some pushback. And then the resistance became a little bit stronger. And then it became a little bit nastier. A couple of times I thought, God, is this really worth it? But Rar is used to shaking things up. In 1979, she was 22 and just out of college. She planned to go to law school and thought that working as a police officer would be a good way to learn about criminal justice while earning a paycheck. My game plan was to be a cop for two or three years. My very first training officer said, you're never going to be a lawyer, Sue. And I was a little bit offended. Like, Don't you think I'm smart enough to be a lawyer? And he goes, you're never leaving. You love this too much. And I didn't agree with him. I didn't believe it. But as time went on, I realized, yeah, he's right. I'm kind of addicted to this. She was one of the first female patrol officers in King County. When I reported to my first police precinct for my first day of work, I walked up to the reception desk all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and said, where's the women's locker room? And the receptionist burst out laughing. For those first few years, her locker room was an old storage closet. But Rar wasn't intimidated by the macho culture. She grew up with six brothers. I had to learn to leverage what resources I had, and usually that was my brain, and trying to figure out how to get them to do what I needed them to do. She says her powers of persuasion came in handy on the police force. Turns out that was a pretty valuable skill to have on the street. Back then, her very presence caught people off guard. I had the advantage of, of getting the drop on people because they were so shocked to see a woman come into a bar fight alone. And then I realized, if you can leave somebody with their dignity, you can get them to do just about anything. So I would always approach it as, hey, you want to come out to my car with me? And if I give somebody that out, most, most men in particular will take that out and we can walk outside the bar. Rar found that physical strength was less important than connecting with people. The big thing that I learned from working the street is that one-on-one -on -one interaction with individuals is extremely important. 
she realized that good police work is about more than just making arrests and writing tickets. If the only thing you measure is the number of enforcement actions you take, that's not a good gauge of how effective you are at making the community safer. Some people need to be arrested, and some criminals need to be locked up for a good long time. But that's not the only tool. RAR was practicing what's now known as community policing, but no one used that term back then. What I developed over time naturally turns out is what we call community policing today, and that is I was less concerned about how can I turn this into a law and order problem where somebody goes to jail or somebody gets a ticket. I was much more interested in how can we fix this problem and get other people in the community to, to rally to solve the problem. In 2012, when she became leader of the training commission, RAR discovered that the academy didn't teach the lessons she'd learned from her early years on the beat. RAR had her work cut out for her. To change the academy's culture, RAR had to do more than make the halls friendlier. She had to completely change the way the recruits viewed themselves. When I started here at the academy, after about a half a year, I started using the term guardian. A guardian, she says, describes the complete police officer. The multi-dimensional police officer. How the cop sees himself or herself. What their role is in the community. She broadened the academy's curriculum with new programs designed to strengthen the recruits' guardian skills. Skills like treating people with compassion, listening to people, still having all the warrior skills, but also giving officers a lot more tools to build the rapport, to build the trust, to build the support. The new framework urged recruits to view themselves as protectors rather than soldiers. What I hope to impart to my new recruits is what the community wants is safety and security. They don't care how many arrests you make. Some, like Detective Jack Symington from the Kennewick Police Department, feared the Guardian philosophy could put officers' lives at risk. When I first learned of the, the changes that the Criminal Justice Training Commission was going to make in regards to changing their curriculum from the warrior mentality to the guardian mentality, I was concerned basically for the officers uh, working the street. With 36 years of police work under his belt, he worried that this new way of doing things was too soft. That's not uh, how things were done uh, when I first started in police work. Law enforcement officers do not like change. Again, RAR relied on the tools she developed in the field, choosing communication over confrontation. She and the detective exchanged emails and eventually met in person. She actually gave me a copy of a book uh, called Arresting Communications by Lieutenant Jen Flennon, and I think she also uh, was reassuring in the fact that we weren't strictly going to the guardian uh, position for law enforcement, that there are times that the warrior part of the profession is necessary. And I think that uh, discussion that we had along with uh, reading the book eased some of my concerns and, and fears. A few staff members left, but most believed in RAR's mission and stuck with it. Teachers like Russ Hicks understood that by changing the culture, they were building better police officers. 
The culture here today is really about respect and being the role model of the type of officer that we want to see on the road. But Rar was nervous that even with the support of the teachers, the recruits might still resist the new guardian philosophy. I met with the class president at the very beginning when I found out that he was a decorated military veteran, Black Hawk helicopter pilot. I, I thought, oh man, this is going to be so hard. Here I'm telling a guy with a great military background that we're moving away from a military training model. So when I met with him, I explained my philosophy, and he very politely said, ma'am, if I wanted to be a soldier, if I wanted to be a warrior, I would have stayed in the military. I'm completely on board with this guardian thing you're doing. <laughs> Rar's ideas are more relevant than ever today. In Minnesota, Mr. Castile was shot within seconds of the officer being in that car. In Louisiana, Mr. Sterling was shot within seconds of the officers approaching him. That's Jeffrey Robinson, a national director at the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, and a huge supporter of this kind of reform. I have seen videotape after videotape after videotape of police officers escalating situations with people they encounter immediately. They use a command voice, do what I say or you're going to end up on the ground with my gun against your head. That's how people get killed. By now, we've all seen these types of videos. But back then, the problem wasn't quite so visible. Sue just didn't wait for the video explosion to get into people's heads and say, oh my God, we have this problem. She knew the problem was there, and she acted on it. And it's not just the ACLU who took notice. In 2014, Sue Rar was picked for President Obama's task force on 21st century policing. Adoption of the Guardian mindset became their number one recommendation. Police officers and training instructors have started to realize that one of the major tools a police officer may have is, good afternoon, sir. I need to talk to you about something. Is it okay if we talk? RAR's reforms started in Washington state, but now they're spreading nationwide. And they go beyond repairing relations between police and the people they serve. For her, it's also about defending the Constitution. One of the last big changes she made at the academy was removing a trophy case filled with police paraphernalia like handcuffs from the entrance hall. And instead, we put up a wall mural of the Constitution. And, and I really wanted to reinforce to the recruits you are serving a higher purpose. This is not just a job. Today, RAR hands a small maroon book to every recruit on their first day of training. The contents of that book? The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. When you become a commissioned officer, you're going to have more power as an individual than the president or the chief justice of the Supreme Court. You're going to have more power as an individual without anybody's prior permission to deprive somebody of their freedom and, in the most extreme circumstance, their life. That's Rar delivering her welcome speech to a new batch of recruits. She reminds them that with great power comes great responsibility. 
That is an extraordinary amount of power. I want you to think about that. That is an, that, that's an extraordinary amount of trust that's been placed in you by the people you serve. Now that police are learning to see themselves as guardians, RAR hopes that the people they protect will see them the same way. My vision is for every child in this country, when they see a police car, I want their reaction to be, the good guys are here. For me, that would be nirvana. Thanks to Sujin Pak for bringing us that story. Once again, we see somebody who is looking at a situation and realizing that the current approach is not the way forward, and it requires transformation. But in order to do that, someone's got to stand up and really lead courageously. And you take that, coupled with the fact that she's a woman leading the training for the state of Washington, for all the police, for everyone. We're witnessing, once again, against all odds, taking the road less traveled, and she realized that she had to make a change. But she's also showing the value of inclusive leadership. She has supporters from line cops, rank-and-file police officers, the Fraternal Order of Police, all the way over to the American Civil Liberties Union. And it's a rare day that the Fraternal Order of Police and the ACLU see things the same way. Mm -hmm. And yet she's been able to build support. And you have people all over, political leaders, community leaders, looking to her and saying, she's doing something important, and she's doing it in a way that doesn't throw out the warrior training, but it's now framed in a different way. It's framed as you're not out there to wage a war on the community. You're there to protect the community and fight the bad guys. Sue Rar is bringing something to this that in a way is unconventional but necessary. And we saw firsthand the response from the young cadets who were in the room uh, respectfully listening to how she framed this approach, that she was not in any way discounting the need to be a warrior, but she also is implying the need for a new level of understanding of what it means to be the guardian of the community. If you enjoyed the show and want to get the word out, the single best way to do that is to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the show. And if you're really inspired, teach someone new how to download a podcast. It's easy. Sujin Pak narrated our story. Casey Holford composed our music. This is a Starbucks original series produced by Panoply with Fanny Cohen, Andrew Chug, Margaret Kelly, Whitney Donaldson, Jordan Bell, Anne Hepperman, and Rob Bear. I'm Rajiv Chandrasekharan. This is Upstanders. Thanks for listening. <laughs>